they can look at a whole lot of information and divide it into possible topics. Then they are able to make good progress. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Marcy has got a good question. What is the difference between Unit 7, Unit 8, and the weight of the topic? Well, Unit 7 we generally consider to be your inventive, creative, imaginative, have fun with it type of writing, the type of unit. So it could be something fairly serious, like write about the three most important people who influenced you in your life. That's kind of serious and almost as serious as writing you know research on the other hand you could get imaginative and say describe three aspects of the planet zoog an imaginary planet imagine its flora and fauna imagine its inhabitants imagine its architecture so you can range from the wild and crazy imaginative all the way to the this is kind of a research the, the main difference that we would say is between Unit 7 and 8 is that in Unit 7, most of the information is coming from your brain. You're thinking it up. You're coming up with the content, sometimes from a fairly dry process of just saying, what can I say about something? Whereas Unit 8, then, is more of let's go and get references, primary, secondary, collect up information and write it in and then add our opinion uh, or choose the facts that support our opinion. So hopefully that helps. My old friend Kathleen, you are so loyal at these webinars. It's good to see you again and you have questions. Kathleen's question is, do we model the type of questions to ask? I have a couple students who at times seem to have no ideas for questions, almost no curiosity. I have been asking questions since I was born, so this baffles me. Can you help too much there? I know in general you can't help too much. Sounds like, Kathleen, you've listened to my talk on the four deadly errors, wherein one of those is withhold help, and of course the answer is no. You can't help too much. If you withhold help, you're more likely to impede the continuing building of confidence and experience and feeling competent, willing to go. 
But how do we learn anything through imitation? So I would strongly support you to just stick with those students and give them either verbally or maybe in writing a list of half a dozen questions that you can think of that they might not think of. And perhaps one of those will pique their interest and will say, that's an interesting question, and then go out in search of the research to answer that question. But yes, it is that case where we who have a natural aptitude toward one thing kind of find it difficult to understand how to deal with others who don't have that same natural aptitude, whether it's asking questions or a flair for language or a sense of logic and organization. But we continue to teach through modeling, and that's, of course, why teachers are so valuable to students. Yeah, OK, Deborah, so you, you said you did Unit 7. You went back to teach a younger child Unit 6. Forgot that intro and conclusion were part of Unit 6. So that's OK. And that's one of those cases where if you simply review the TWSS, we've tried, especially in the new revised version, the 2015 version, we've tried uh, so hard to make it clear, here's the parameters of Unit 6, and that's all you need to worry about. Here's Unit 7. There's options. You can do 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, you know, 12 paragraphs. Unit 8 now is like Unit 7, but you always have a minimum of 5, and you go up from there, and you can collect the facts. So yes, I think that for all of us, it's just teach through one year, evaluate, OK, what worked, what didn't work, what did I understand, what did I remember, what do I need to review? and then go through it again. And that's one thing we really tried to do with the TWSS2, and that was be sure that the seminar workbook had plentiful student samples, because I think that's where we learn best. That's where I learn best, is by seeing, OK, here's a sample of what we're talking about. And then, of course, along with it, the explanation, teaching procedure, adjusting for grade level, special circumstances. So. Hopefully that's good. And Marcy, you are the last question. They use the same models, but the source of info is the difference. Yes, you got it. You got it. They they have the same unit seven and eight, same model, but one is essentially the body paragraph information and the background information is coming from the source material, you know, encyclopedias, books, websites, videos, whatever. And then in unit eight, then that's where you get that information. You know, seven, it's all coming from the brain. I think I said that in reverse order. I'm so sorry. Deborah, OK, continuing this one. <laughs> Are we not asking questions to define the topics in Unit 6? Generally not asking too hard of questions in Unit 6. In Unit 6, you have a subject. It can be a country, a person, a place, an event, something from history, anything, an issue. And your basic question is, what are the things about aspects of or topics pertaining to the subject? Now, if you have a huge subject like World War II, that's pretty painful because it's just so big. You'll have dozens of possible topics, and then you have to choose three. So writing a five-paragraph essay or even a six- or seven-paragraph essay about World War II could be really overwhelming because the funnel is just so large. Whereas if you took an element of World War II and you said the Battle for, of Britain, the Luftwaffe and the RAF trying to protect London from bombing, or Pearl Harbor, perhaps the Eastern 
front, Germany versus Russia, or perhaps the military activity in North Africa. Those are smaller, and so they're going to be easier to write about so you don't get so overwhelmed. But the basic question in Unit 8, 6 and, and, of course, by extension in Unit 8, is what are the things about aspects of topics pertaining to this big subject? I might suggest, Deborah, I, I don't know what grade levels you work on or you've been teaching because you've been at it for a while. Our newest product, the high school essay intensive, has a very good section on invention. And one of those is that whole idea of division. If you can get division solid, if your students can get that idea, that idea of you take one thing, whatever it is, and then you look into it, and you see the aspects of it, you see the elements of it. And then you can choose the number of those elements and plan an essay accordingly. It is so very, very helpful. Because what I've seen again and again is if kids can do the division part, if they got that, if they can look at a whole lot of information or a large subject for thought and divide it into possible topics, possible areas of discussion, things about, then, and immediately then, almost magically, they are able to make good progress. They can choose three or more however they need, and then move into the paragraph outlining so much more easily. But I do empathize with you, Deborah. You also wrote, and I'm a decent writer myself, it's so funny that we as teachers don't necessarily find it easy to teach those things that we are kind of naturally good at. We didn't have to struggle to gain the ability, the thinking skills, the aptitude. And yet when we are teaching students, or our own children, however may be the case, we just like, what do you not get about this? You know, it's kind of obvious. Please, don't you just see it? And of course they don't. And then that can cause a little bit of tension or conflict. So. Break things down into the smallest parts you can. That should be a good way to go. And feel free to contact us. You know, Deborah, your question is such a, a good question for the forum because then you can hear not just, you know, what I can say in a few minutes during a webinar, but you can also read and gain the wisdom from other experienced teachers with structure and style. Deborah, will the high school essay intensive help me understand how to guide my kids in writing the intro and conclusion. It may help, but I wouldn't say that's the speciality. The speciality is probably the invention process for the content, whereas the introduction and conclusion are fairly consistent in their elements. You don't need a lot of invention. You just need to memorize it. What I would suggest, Deborah, is uh, get the new TWSS and look at the Unit 7 and Unit 8 student samples, as well as perhaps the magnum opus magazine uh, Unit 7 and 8 student samples. Unit 7, it may be five paragraphs. It may be less. If it's fewer paragraphs, it would not likely have the introduction conclusion in the same way. If it's five or more, then it would. And then, of course, all of the Unit 8 samples in both sources, the seminar workbook and the magnum opus, 
those should have pretty solid examples of the introduction conclusion. And you know, the challenge of teaching anything is you know, how do you get kids to understand something? And more and more as I get older and older, having done this for decades, I realized that the best way to teach anything is with samples. You can just stand in front of a group of kids and explain things until you're blue in the face, until you think you've said it 10 times, so you think they have to understand. And then they'll come back and not understand, and you're kind of thinking, what was it about what I didn't say? Whereas if you just show them a few examples, okay, let's read this together. Wow, look at that great attention getter. Wow, see how that thesis statement was embedded. Oh, see how those topics were listed without seeming redundant or list-like. And I think we've got some great student samples uh, for you on that. So that's good. Sherry, Sherry has a good question. How do you approach the expository essay? Meaning, if a true essay must have an opinion, what do we do with an essay that explains something? <laughs> or one that describes something? Do we avoid these types of essays? No, I don't think you have to avoid it. In the high school essay intensive, which I'm now teaching several times a month these days, I just point out, expository just means teaching. You don't really have to have something to prove. You don't need, per se, a thesis statement with an opinion. You're teaching something, and your opinion is, of all that I told you about that, what's the most important thing? So I always sometimes give kids the example. I've written essays on something like why a pen is a better thing for children to write with than a pencil. I'm just teaching the, the details. It is my opinion, but I'm teaching why that is my opinion, why that's true. I could also write about the history of education. That would be kind of expository. But then I might focus in on one thing and say, well, it was John Dewey in the 1920s who had certain opinions that changed the course of modern education. And so, yeah, you know, I'm basically reporting the history. I have an opinion that that thing I mentioned there is the most significant thing that affected the history or the change of education modern. If you have something like a frog, there's not much you can say. <laughs> What's your opinion of frogs? I, we're happy they eat insects, otherwise there'd be too many flies. Sometimes you do have to kind of manufacture this, but that's usually at a younger stage, so I don't think you have to get too too worked up about it. And remember too, Sherry, it's it's all a process. We're not looking at the product. The product of a twelve year old child is pretty much just irrelevant. The the process, the experience the student has as they're learning and gaining confidence, that's what they're going to carry on into adulthood when they will go in probably, you know, to some area of specialization, some academic activity, some type of uh, teaching or persuasive writing that they may be drawn to. We're just trying to give them the raw tools in a wide range, but we're not worried that the essay of a 12-year-old is worthy of publication in the Wall Street Journal because it's probably not. So <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, let's finish it up. And we do have a few products. We've got the Elegant Essay. We've got the Writing Research Papers. We've got Vic Pellegrino's Writer's Guide to Powerful Paragraphs. 
the new high school essay intensive, which was done just last year, and we're very pleased with the way it came out. We've upgraded the package very significantly, and I think it will serve us all well until such a point that the SAT and the ACT change their uh, essay strategies. They may change the type of essay, they may eliminate the essay, they may, who knows what they may do, at which point we will revise our product. But as of now, this is the best research we've got on how to game those prompt-based timed essays as well as uh, a whole lot of information. Most of it is cross-applicable to all writing and then finishing up with the college application essay. I mentioned the magnum opus magazine, so that's good. And Deborah, <laughs> I'll read it because you posted it, but it's a case study for all of us. Deborah wrote, it is so hard for me to judge what is good enough for a 12-year-old. I want to edit to death, and I've listened to the Four Deadly Errors. Well, it's just one of those things where, in a way, we all have our slight compulsions or, or at least habits of interacting with students. And in that talk, The Four Deadly Errors, and in the podcasts, I've you know, tried to share my experience on how do, you, how do you cultivate a desire to do the best. Someone asked me once, what would you expect from a 13-year-old in writing? And I, you know, I, I kind of drew a blank, like 13, I don't know, is this child, boy, girl, strong reader, weak reader, dyslexic, normal, came right out of public school, been homeschooled for three. I mean, there's, there's so many variables in that that when you just say nth grader or certain years old, you really can't compare on that type of basis a child with children, any other children of that similar age or grade because they're just all so different. And so my response here was, well, I would expect a 13-year-old to do his or her best. He or she will not always do his or her best. I don't do my best. I fail. I fall short. And yet, our Heavenly Father trusts us to get up the next day and have another opportunity to do our best. So I think if you create that context and just keep teaching. You know, one of the things that I always bring to the conversation is the idea that I'm a violin teacher. And there's a few great things about being a violin teacher, a music teacher. You don't look at teaching through the lens of schools and grade levels and letter grades and curriculum. Instead, you look at it as a pathway. You can step on that pathway when you're 4 or 8 or 14 or 18 or 24 or 44 or 80. It, it doesn't really matter when you start the process of learning to play the violin. What matters is that you do start. Then you don't compare. I mean, we never compare and say, you know, because you're a certain age or grade, you should play a certain level of repertoire. No, you can start at six and can take you six months or two years to get through book one. The speed with which you go through the repertoire is not nearly as important as the quality of how you play what you play and the experience you have, the joy you have playing it. And so everybody progresses at a different speed. Faster is not always better than the opposite because, you know, people speed through things and sometimes the quality or attention to detail is low. And it just some people take longer to get through, and that's okay as well. 
And so if we, I think if we were to look at writing kind of in the way that we would look at learning to draw or learning to dance or learning to play the musical instrument, then we can see, okay, you get on the pathway when you do. And the only really important thing is that you're making progress. Not where other people your age are, but that you're making progress. And of course, when we can kind of relax about that compelling, compulsive need to compare our children with other people's children, then we, we are free. And we're free, the kids are free, and we just say, okay, let's just do the best we can and do what we can and enjoy the enjoy the journey. So I know, I know, Deborah, that is so much easier said than done. So uh, don't fault me if it's not the perfect solution, but but it is a principle that I have found is follow very well. So just so you are reminded of all the things we at IEW can do to help you, we have our podcasts, we have our webinars, of which the next one will be probably Unit 9 sometimes next month. We have our blogs and the forum and the e-newsletter and the magnum opus. And then, of course, you can always call us. And we have a great team of people who will be happy to answer any of your questions. So looks like we've got the question box cleared. At least I think so. And it is getting close to 8.30. So I thank you all for joining us tonight. And I hope you have a, a, a great rest of the school year. We're coming into the home stretch here with April and May and it's very easy to feel like, oh, I'm just so ready to, <laughs> ready to take a break. But do not grow weary doing good. And I will keep all of you who use our IEW materials, keep you in my prayers generally, specifically if I can remember any names. And I ask that you Keep us at IEW in your memory, and we will continue to work this great work of raising up a generation of young people who not only are striving for excellence, but also learning how to communicate in written and spoken English uh, the truth in a world that so desperately needs it. So blessings to all of you. Thank you, and God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.